0: Hi friend, Katie here with the Hustle Humbly community updates for March. Our live this month will be on March 26th and will be our quarter one book club covering the 12 week year. We're really excited to go over this book with everyone. If you read it, you can join the conversation. And even if you don't read it, we hope you'll join us for the Hustle Humbly Clip Notes and our good overview and takeaway of what we loved about the book, The 12 Week Year. Other reminders for the community group are to make sure you're on the referral list as well as the military referral list if you serve a military community. Our final reminder is that we have a podcast search feature. It is a really cool feature of the community where you can go in and find a previous episode or episodes that cover a certain topic you're looking for. So if you can't remember where you heard us talk about a certain wording for a letter or how we handled a situation, you can use that podcast search feature to find out exactly what you need. If you're a member of community, you'll have all of this in your monthly newsletter, as well as you can find it on your dashboard. And if you're not a member of community, please feel free to join us. You can learn more at hustlehumblypodcast.com slash membership.
1: There was nothing in our job description that said, actively work to get these people under contract.
2: Can you write offers on all of these today? And let's see if one of them sticks
1: constant repair negotiations because so if you get one person through, I'll do the next.
2: Well, go so ask Google. Is that what they do? <laughs> yeah, is? probably.
1: 3% every four weeks, drop the price until you sell. That's it. Sometimes we just need to hear a man's voice.
2: <laughs>
1: <gasps> we had a local area code for each market, so that's why people would be confused.
2: Hi, y'all. Welcome to Hustle Humbly. It's Alyssa and Katie, and we are two top producing realtors in the Baton Rouge market. We work for two different companies where we should be competitors, but we have chosen community over competition. The goal of our podcast is to encourage you
0: to find your own way in business. So stop comparing yourself and start embracing your strengths. Okay. Hi, Hi, Alyssa. Katie. It's episode 192, and we're here today with a guest, a friend who's going to talk to us all about... There's so many names for this. So
2: yeah, I was waiting to hear what you gonna, were going to say. Gonna talk
0: about what we call a discount broker or maybe a non-traditional broker or a flat fee broker, limited service broker. There really are a lot of names for this. So we're going to let Michelle introduce herself and tell us where she is and what she does and why she's a good person to talk to us about this subject.
1: yeah so my name is Michelle I'm a realtor in the Dallas Fort Worth area of Texas I'm originally from San Diego Um, I met my husband in 2018 he's the one who kind of talked me into getting licensed and trying real estate even though that wasn't on my radar Um, so I went ahead and got my license at the end of 2019 Um, I had no background in real estate. I didn't know anyone in real estate. So I thought finding like an assistant position would be a good way to get my feet wet and see if I even like real estate. Um, So that's how I came across this discount, flat fee, non-traditional broker. Um, They had posted an ad for a real estate assistant position and I applied, interviewed with the broker um, and I got the job and I started in February, 2020. And that's what I did for my first year as a realtor. Um, and I closed 113 transactions that first year. Um, it it's was so crazy. That is wild. Yeah. I know. So, and what's funny is I didn't even know what I was getting myself into. I was just like, oh, I guess, you know, real estate assistant. That sounds nice.
2: <laughs> and uh,
1: yeah, I had no idea. So right how did too.
2: you close? Sorry? Yeah, how did you close so many transactions as an assistant? So I guess you weren't just an assistant; you were. Yeah.
1: So the thing is, like this specific brokerage was smaller. Um, The job position was an assistant, but it was only two months, really, as an assistant. And then they were so short staffed that they needed someone to start taking clients, and I was licensed, so um, I just like was saying yes to everything. You know, you ready to take a client? Sure. You ready to take another? Sure, sure, sure. And I was just you know, it just went from there. Um, so yeah, that was my first, that was my introduction to real estate and I knew it just wasn't for me. So I just took, I told myself I was going to work there for a year, take everything I could from it and all the experience and knowledge and then go off and do traditional.
2: Why did you feel like it was not for you? Well,
1: because it was the way that the company was set up, Everything was just a number. So like the broker, the mindset was just go, 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 on to the next. Everyone was a number. You know, say the seller received an offer or maybe two offers at the time. This was before like the crazy bidding wars started. But the broker would always push to have the seller, to have us tell the seller, just take the first offer. It's always going to be the best one. Um, just to eliminate getting into a bidding war, just anything to save us time and just keep it moving. Cause you know, it makes sense. They paid a flat fee initially to be listed. No one cares how much they sell for when they sell. It's like, just get it done, close onto the next. And it was just so cold. And you know, my broker, his only complaint really of me was that I, he literally told me I care too much. And I was like, (laughs) <laughs> that's how I knew. That's how I knew. That, that was <laughs> a, yeah, that's how right, I knew. Maybe this
0: isn't for, for me. Oh, that is crazy. Okay. How many like clients would you have at one time? And did they, obviously you weren't making a commission. So were you on a salary or how did they pay you?
1: Yeah. So we were paid hourly um, and we would get a very small commission Basically, when someone would sign up to list with us, and then when that listing closed and we represented them, we would get a very small commission. Like, it's laughable. I remember when I was interviewing with brokers when I was ready to um, go off and do traditional, the lady that the manager that I met with, she was like, I could tell she pitied me. She's like, oh, you poor girl. Like, the amount of volume that I did, and I told her how much I made, it was like, it's funny to think how little I made for the amount of work.
2: So, right. in this type of situation, when you get a lead and they want to list their house, what did that look like? How many times did you did you meet these people? Ever did you go to the house? Like, what was the process?
1: So, this office um, was based in the Dallas Fort Worth area, but we had sellers all over Texas um, and co- we covered multiple markets. Nothing was in person. Everything was over the phone, through email. Um, a company, like a big majority of the sellers who would list with the brokerage, um, a lot of them found that were either repeat clients, referral clients, or um, Google, because it makes sense. You know, people are looking for cheap option or searching flat fee brokerage and we would pop up. Um so it was it was all inbound. We didn't have to do any type of like prospecting or marketing. I think they had really good SEO. They had some IT guy handling that.
2: Hmm. Very so you would just take their information over the phone when they were ready. Yeah. They were in charge of getting their own photos. Did they have to give photos to you to upload? So
1: the way that it worked, they would have two options when they were listing with the brokerage. They would have the most basic plan, which is basically for sell-by-owner. They would make a payment on the website. The, the payment would come in. The assistant would basically handle the onboarding, call them, confirm their property information. Um, anything else was extra. If they wanted a CMA, it was extra. Um, if they wanted photos, it was extra. Um, We would provide the paperwork because it was on the website, Um, and then the second option was called, you know, they would have full representation. It was still a flat fee. It was just a little bit more. Um, Same thing with that option, except it would include a CMA. One of the agents would do a CMA and suggest, uh, suggest a price to them, and they would be assigned to an agent once an offer came in. Um, I will say it was like a well-oiled machine. It was a very small staff, but it was like three assistants, three agents. The assistants would be handling all the inbound, you know, the orders being placed and people calling wanting to list with us.
2: You said they wouldn't get assigned an agent until they received an offer?
1: Yeah, which was one of the big problems that I noticed at least is that there's so much that happens from when they list so, when they actually do get an offer, it was kind of like a list it and forget it situation. Um, because again, like it doesn't benefit them to put extra work into getting them that offer and getting them to close because it doesn't matter. They already got paid. So,
0: okay, um, that was my question. So, it really doesn't matter to the broker whether the house sells or not.
1: Right. No, it doesn't. I just remember like someone would be tasked, one of the agents would be tasked in any of their free time to go through the people who were expiring soon and basically call them, talk them into relisting for another six months. But there was nothing in our job description that said actively work to get these people under contract. No.
2: And so if they wanted to renew because they were approaching expiring, would they repay? Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's just like a so cold. I know. Yeah. It's just a, wow. all right, take another payment, put it back up or, you know, extend the expiration date and just leave it. I mean,
0: how was your, I guess, service advertised just as a here's the amount the fee and you'll get basically like an admin person to put your your listing into the mls and then you're you're on your own right like you have to schedule your own appointments and everything like that right
1: well, the office would, the assistants would set up each listing with a showing service and we they would be sent like a key box. So each each listing did get their own little sign um, and they would get a key box they'd have to pay a deposit for. Um, so they were set up with a showing service. Really, the way that it was advertised was you don't need to pay a traditional agent. agent. Traditional agents make so much money and kind of pushing the whole like agents don't do anything. You don't need to pay that much for it. That all all that really matters is the price and that you're in the MLS. That's all that matters. That was like heavily pushed. And then the price is like right there. So that's, and someone looking for a cheaper option, obviously I'm sure that looks appealing.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. I understand. And you did say, you know, some of the clients that y'all had, the options somewhat made sense for them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say a small percentage We would be investors who are local and familiar with, you know, the the contract in Texas, and um, they've sold homes a bunch of times, they would do the most basic option for the most part, or they would pay a little bit more to have full representation, because maybe they're a little too busy, and they wanted an agent to step in and just handle the negotiations for them once they did get an offer. Those clients, I mean, that's the only time I think it was not, you know, a terrible idea. But that was a very small percentage.
0: Of the right. mm-hmm. Okay. When you talk about them having the choice between full representation, I'm doing mm-hmm. my air quotes y'all, um, or just the plain, like lower level, what was the break? Do you know, like, was it 50% of people would choose full representation or would most people pick just the put us in the MLS and, and leave us alone option?
1: I want to say most of the, It might have been close, maybe like um, 70% did the basic option and maybe, or no, maybe like 60% did the basic option and 40% did the full representation would be, my guess.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do they work with buyers? They do.
1: um, Not as much. It was heavily... The listing side but there would be some buyers and they would actually um, rebate cash back to the buyer so that was their selling point when representing buyers
2: uh, so you would actually did you represent any buyers where you I, had to go show them houses and things no, uh,
1: no and it's kind of and again this is part of why i didn't like working
2: there because a lot of the stuff
1: was kind of mm, questionable it would be like use an agent to get in the door We'll write the offer so that you get the rebate, which isn't right at all. I, I so
0: oh oh they were encouraging people to just get any agent there, yeah. another agent to show you, yeah. but then get with us and we'll write your offer and give you money back. Right, right. which never
1: felt right to me, and I've oh. seen agents complaining about it for obvious reasons on like Facebook groups and stuff, and it's not right, you know, and that's a big reason why I just didn't like working there. But how long
0: was your broker? How long was your broker in business before you started there? Was it an established like a long established company?
1: Yeah, I mean, the broker had been in business at least for, you know, decades and decades. I think the company itself was around for at least 10 years. I mean, it's a well, that's why so much. Yeah, so much of the business was past clients and referrals just because I felt like they established themselves as a local flat fee company.
2: This is so interesting because it, I have one investor in particular who um, is one of the reasons I don't really work with investors anymore.
0: Yes. Great
2: person. But I would wake up to an email with 12 addresses and with a number next to each one that said, hey, can you write offers on all of these today? And let's see if one of them sticks right and it was very regular and i'd be like sure just give me two three hours you know of my day for none of this to work out so it makes me wonder like could he call a service like that and be like hey i don't need to see them just make the offers and let's see what happens and maybe it would work did y'all charge a flat fee up front to write an offer or you just collected something at closing
1: no but i remember the (laughs) The broker, because time was money, and he would cut it off. Like you are not to be writing that many offers for any client. Like they better be getting under contract after like three offers, because he doesn't want us wasting our time on that. But no, there was no platting on the platform.
2: Yeah, right it does make sense yeah
0: okay you closed 113 transactions in one year which literally is Mm -hmm. wild i cannot imagine like about how many at one time are you kind of juggling is it i mean obviously real estate is seasonal so was there a point in the year when you were working with like a a ton of people like how was how could they get in touch with you is that even possible
1: Yeah. So I would average about 20 to 25 at all times. And depending, it could get up to like maybe 30 plus. Um, And a lot of those were actually pending contracts. Um, Majority of them would be an actual contract. So I was basically in a never ending inspection period every week. It was just constant repair negotiations. Because you get one person through.
2: (laughs) That does sound awful. Yeah, yeah. that make, brings up a good point. Once you're pending, okay, our other eight, I mean, I have had this happen to me personally where I just got confused and didn't fully understand and I was nervous to do something wrong. Like I felt like I was going behind the sign by not going and speaking to the other agent. But then when I spoke to the listing agent who was with a limited service company, she was like, you don't have to talk to me. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, let me call your client. You're not client, but let me call the seller. Did yeah. Did you have the co-op agents calling? Yes. Like confused or yeah. okay. What did that look like? These
1: poor agents would be so confused and we were just so busy. The environment was so stressful and these agents would be calling in the middle of like our day. We're so busy and they'd be upset thinking like, who am I supposed to talk to? And we would say, just call the number. And we would kind of we wouldn't say, we wouldn't initially say that's the seller, talk to the seller. We would try to play it like, just call the number in the MLS because we'd have private agent remarks, call this number for all questions. Um, but if they really pushed it and they said, well, is this the seller? I don't feel comfortable. Then we'd have to say, we have an agreement in place. You're allowed to talk to the seller. You don't need to be talking to us. Please call them. And there were a lot of times when the agent would be really frustrated For obvious reasons, but it would get to the point where, like, just please call the seller. Like, we're not handling this. That would be for the most basic clients that didn't do the full representation. If it was full representation, they would talk to me. But
2: So they negotiated repairs and everything directly with the seller. You were not involved in that.
1: For... The clients who did the basic option that was basically for sell by owner, they did everything themselves. And what was kind of sad is that we would be like CC'd on a lot of the communications between the seller and the buyer's agent and we would actively be watching them agree to things maybe that they didn't need to agree to or, you know, agreeing to a huge credit when they d- shouldn't be agreeing to that or, you know, the deal is falling apart, but because they paid for the most basic plan and they don't have full representation, we couldn't step in we couldn't advise them on anything. Um, so how did that, was, that
0: make you feel as an agent? Like how, was that hard for you not to want to step in? Yeah, definitely.
1: For sure. And that's again, just another reason why I was only there for a year. It was, it didn't feel right, right. you know, to be able to watch them their deal falling apart and not be able to step right. in. Right. Okay,
0: so that that leads me into my next question. at if at the flat fee, not the full representation, mm-hmm. but the lowest level what were some of the roadblocks that you saw your clients getting into like did a lot of those contracts not work out like what were they reaching out to you and you would have to say sorry you didn't pay for the higher like full service did that happen and could they pay for full service later like add it on yeah um
1: it would be a lot of questions about the contract itself which is kind of crazy, but they, they didn't fully understand the contract or they'd have a question. Like if this happens, does this happen? It's just, you know, just, they did not understand the contract and they would ask us and we would say, we can't really answer that question. But yes, we would push, like if you do want full representation, you can pay more and have an agent step in. But a lot of times they didn't want to do that. They would just continue. They just say, okay, thanks. And just,
2: you know <laughs> we'll, we'll go ask google is that what they yeah, do probably. Oh, yeah probably my I, goodness gracious. yeah i guess so or
1: like a scenario where they're negotiating repairs and maybe the they would try to call the office and ask like is this something that they have to agree to or what happens if they don't agree to it and again we just can't help them like sorry you're on your own
0: Oh my god. This is so interesting it's to me. It's fascinating. I yeah. also think it's interesting, Michelle. I've never really delved into any particular limited service broker's structure. I never knew that there was like like what you have like a level, like flat fee nothing, this is what you get into the MLS and that's it, or maybe a more fuller service where you're getting a few things for your money and an agent assigned to you. I didn't mm-hmm. I had no clue that was a thing, so I do find that to be very interesting.
2: If you're enjoying the Hustle Humbly podcast, we could use your help. We are trying to get some new reviews. Please head over to the show notes and click the link to leave us some new reviews at ratethispodcast.com slash hustle humbly. And if you're on Spotify, you need to follow, hit the bell,
0: rate the show, and leave a comment on the current episode. And for our YouTube friends, like, subscribe, and hit that bell. Thanks for all your support. I mean, were there things that your clients expected of you that like would never have been included, even if they were full service? Like, was there anything that clients wanted that, that never was included? Um,
1: a lot of times they'd be surprised that photos weren't included. I mean, any marketing, nothing like that was included. It was simply professional photos. If they want to pay for that, put it in the MLS and that's it. There were no extras, you know, it it was no um, like open houses there. I just remember there were a lot of things that we would say you don't need to do, don't do just because we were told to say that because it would just be extra work for us. So like coming soon, we would say, Oh no, that's not a good strategy. It doesn't work because we didn't, the broker didn't want us doing that. It would just be extra work when maybe that would have been a good strategy I just remember it was kind of just like a one size fits all for every client. And maybe they thought that they, they were going to get more good mm-hmm. real estate advice from an agent, but we were just so focused right. on transactions and getting the deal done that we just, you know, no marketing, um, no open houses, no coming soon. You can list any day of the week. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so,
2: right. It's just like pushing paperwork and getting them in and yeah. out of the door. That's a good point. So you said any day of the week, y'all had staff working on the weekends to get things input into the MLS. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So the office was open 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. during the week. And then weekends, it was like 9 to 7. um, And there would be someone working in the office. So we would constantly be... um, No, actually, we wouldn't put listings in on Sundays, but we would on... Actually, I think we only put listings on Monday through Friday. But basically, if someone had a question, what day of the week is best, we'd say any day, <laughs> because it's just to get the listing up, get their money. And move it off. doesn't
2: matter to us. What do you want? Yeah,
0: like, yeah exactly. You- okay, well, how did you handle client communication? Did they have a phone number for someone? Obviously, maybe not in the flat, the bottom of the rung, but mm-hmm. could they call you? Could I mean, can they do they have to email? Are they told like, you know, basically you can only email? What What is the communication, I guess, structure?
1: Yeah, I guess that it, it was agent to agent. Um, I personally would give my clients my cell phone number because I did want to be able to handle stuff outside of my office hours. Um, but there was another agent in particular who refused, like absolutely not, did not let any client have my phone number. And Stuff would just be blowing up, and he would just be nowhere to be found because he could hide behind it. And I, you know, boundaries, of course, are great, but I'm pretty sure he did it as a way to just shield himself from what was going on and let the let the assistants handle a lot of it. So, um,
2: communication. If I was working for this type of company, I would probably have to keep it email and not let anybody have my number because I don't think I could hear their voices. Well, I don't
0: know. I'd have to just service? Like, how do you be like, well, Oh, I'll, Oh, I can turn the service on or off.
1: Yeah. Well, right. I just
0: have like,
1: a- yeah, they were, they were respectful. I mean, most of the communication was done through the office phone. They would call the office and um, the assistant would pass the phone, pass them over to me. And a lot of the communication was done through email, but I knew that stuff happens outside of office hours. So I wouldn't, you know, they can have my cell phone number, but no one was really blowing me up I think they were respectful that way but um, because sometimes things really needed to be handled outside of when you're in the office so what wasn't really right was the agent who didn't want anyone to have his cell phone number he would have us um, share his home office phone number as if that was his cell phone number Um, it was just a lot of misleading the clients and it just just didn't feel right (laughs)
2: Right, mm-hmm. right. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. What about – what was y'all's number of cancellations? Were were contracts often getting canceled and you're having to go into MLS and make it back active? Or were they making it to the closing table pretty often? How did that look with cancellations?
1: Um, that's a good question. I don't – At me as the agent, I didn't really handle like the basic plan clients. So I'm not sure – I would assume that a lot of their deals probably fell through, but I would say the ones that I represented mostly made it to closing, um, for the most part, because again, the broker was pushing, get it done by any means necessary. If it means accepting the first offer, getting the seller to agree to like lower terms, maybe, or, you know, negotiating credits wherever possible, very low credits, um, So deals for the most part would make it to closing, at least when I was representing them. But I do remember, you know, cancellations coming in at least for the flat fee clients
0: quite a bit. Sure. That makes sense. I mean it makes perfect sense. Okay, what about something like feedback from showings? Obviously you're not are you collecting that on the higher level or no?
1: Um that was also set everything was set up with the showing service, and it they would be set up so all any feedback would go straight to the seller um the office had you know give or take three like three hundred three fifty listings at all times, and it just would' have oh. been not feasible for any of the feedback to go through the office, so that's why it would just go straight to the seller
2: wow so y'all did set them up, you said in a showing system that kind of automated that, yeah.
1: Yeah, out here we have showing time, so yeah, yeah. we have yeah. that as yeah, well. Yeah, it was just all automated, and everything would go straight to the seller, and the seller would approve and decline showings, and they would just handle all that themselves.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Let's dig into what now that you're on the other side, and you on to a regular full service brokerage, what are some of the things that you would maybe caution the public about when they consider a discount or limited service broker? Like, what are some of the things they need to keep in mind?
1: Um, I think the big thing that the public should be aware of is that, you know, this is a flat fee company, all they care about is they're getting the flat fee up front does not matter to them when you sell or how much you sell for because they already got paid. Um, and I think a company like this, you know, it's a one-size-fits-all formula for all listings. Anything that makes it easier for them to take on more listings, push them through, get them closed, move on to the next. So real estate isn't a one-size-fits-all you know, that doesn't work for every house. So I just remember, mm-hmm. you know, the, the listing not selling, we would tell them drop the price three percent every four weeks. Same thing. Oh
2: my gosh. Well, there's your <laughs> there's the money you saved. Right. Yeah, every four wow. weeks. Yeah, that's the same thing. So what happens? Mm-hmm.
1: No, keep going. I was just gonna say, not once did we ever consider any other factor, like take the time to look at the listing, look at the photos we didn't know the area, you know, it could be a market that's like four hours away, six hours away. We didn't know the area. We didn't know, we didn't look into anything. It was just the formula that our broker told us, which was 3% every four weeks, drop the price until you sell. That's it. Wow.
2: It's incredible. Mm -hmm. That's really sad. What was the final straw? Like what made you leave? And how did you take that plunge? How did this transition happen? Um,
1: I think it, it was really kind of building, um, that working there was very high stress. Like I said, I wasn't getting paid much. I didn't feel right with a lot of the stuff that was happening. So I think it was really a buildup. Um, I knew I was just going to be there for a year and then I was going to go off and do my own thing. Um, but I remember one of the last, the last deal I was representing a buyer and whenever you're representing a buyer, the buyer is getting paid more, than anyone else is. (laughs) He's getting the majority of the commission with that rebate. And I was dealing with someone that was so difficult and trying to get the broker's help, you know, freaking out over some repairs. And this isn't another market. I can't go to the house and I can't really handle it like a traditional agent should, would be handling it, you know. Um, Nor did I make enough money to be able to Throw in some commission just to remedy the situation. It was just, it was a lot. And I was just so stressed out. And I was trying to go to the broker for help. And I remember he was just saying, Well, sometimes you just, they just need to hear a man's voice.
2: <laughs> <gasps> I got it. Uh,
1: and I was just like,
0: <sighs> Then you take
1: oh, it. You take it.
2: So that was the last oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that'd was, be my last deal that too. That is a yeah. uh, good straw to break the camel's back.
1: Right.
0: Wow. Wow. I did not see that coming. Quite honestly. Yeah. So, okay. So with the so deal already move. happening, and then that
1: just like a little cherry on top. I was like, I can't do this.
2: <laughs> right. What does your husband think about this whole situation? Um, I think he saw it for what it was, which is a, just a
1: learning experience, which is how I knew it was. It was hard to remember that when I was in it, but I think he just was watching and just <laughs> watching from a distance, just letting me learn. And, um, I remember one day mm-hmm. I was like, I was just so overwhelmed. I had so many clients, so many things blowing up at once and everything was fine. I went through the day. And I feel like I handled the high stress environment very well. But I got home and I parked my car at the house and I just sat there and I just cried. Oh. <laughs> and he came out and basically like got my bags and we went into the house. So I was like, this is, this is a lot.
0: No, right. Kid, <laughs> that, not for me. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. Right. Okay, but like on the last deal you did where you were representing the buyer, I think I caught this. Did you never go into the house? Like it wasn't even in your area. Yeah, no, never went to the house. Yeah. Before. I just yeah. don't understand. Like we, this is a, a hard episode for us to record because we have no words. I actually yeah. don't understand. Right, like the, <laughs> the buyer found them on Google and was like, get your like commission rebated back to you and then they just let them submit the offer after some other poor agent showed them the house. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Yeah. And then we would, um, you know, they would have the inspection done. They would go to the inspection. They would just meet with the inspector. The inspection would be sent to us. We would walk through that report with them, you know, talk about negotiating a credit, um,
0: how did they get into the house for the inspection or a walkthrough or like, you're not there. Is the listing agent going to let them in?
1: Um, I don't think it's really an issue with the inspector because at least out here, the inspector can access the property. And then usually us as the agent, we meet with the buyers, we meet with the inspector. So I don't think that part was the issue, but the issue was the walkthrough. And that's another thing that I never felt right. Like it was always kind of a, Oh, you know, talking to try to get the listing agent, please let the client in to, you know, you make some excuse because we didn't tell them what the situation was. I never said I'm not even in your market because we would have an off. Oh, that's another thing. We had an office phone and we had a local area code for each market. So that's why people would be confused. You know, they don't know that I'm not local. So I'd have to just say like, something came up. Can you please let the buyer in for a walkthrough? And I remember towards the end, that last deal, the broker, said to me like, well, we shouldn't even be, that's not a part of our service is doing the walkthrough. Like if they want the rebate and they want to use us, they either don't get a walkthrough or they have to figure out their own way to get into the walkthrough. But I know there were times when I was paying an agent, I would find an agent on a Facebook group and say, can you please let the client in for a walkthrough? I'll pay you. And, um, yeah, but it wasn't.
2: Wow, really, I can't even believe it. Yeah, the thing is, is that the public probably real. I mean, they made their decision. They, they to some extent know what they're doing with what they're paying for. You know that they shouldn't mm-hmm. be expecting this high level of service. But I'm most shocked that it's the agents, the co-op agents, that really have no idea what's going on and understanding right. it. You yeah, know, that's. That's really tricky. It's very yeah. tricky. Mm.
1: Some, mm. something. Um, so at this particular brokerage, no one had any real real estate experience. And I think that worked for the broker. So we had never been traditional agents. We didn't know any better. So that's why when someone would say, well, what day of the week is best for me to list? I truly didn't know. You know, Sunday, Monday, What? who cares? But now as a traditional agent, obviously, that's not the case. But... The broker, I think, would take in agents that didn't have any real real estate experience and then train them to see it in his viewpoint and to tell the clients what he would tell the clients. Um, So yeah, looking back on it to know that the how the other agent was dealing with this is... I feel bad. I mean, I know how frustrated I would be if I was dealing with one of their... Are there a
2: lot of these... Are there a lot of these companies in your market or is it just kind of one that um, sort of dominate?
1: I want to say there's maybe at least I think there's quite a few. I want to say maybe like a handful that I regularly will see if I do see a flat fee
0: option. Yeah. Yeah. I mean they're they're not uncommon. We have them here too. Right. You know, I think they're pretty common throughout the the country. Mm-hmm. I think that the problem is that realtors in general aren't really good at explaining to the public what they do when they are full service. So then when they think they can get a discount by, you know, hiring a different broker that maybe's going to give them, you know, a rebate or it's not going to cost as much. If I didn't, if they didn't understand what realtors did in the first place, and then you even as an employee of this business didn't really know what realtors did, like the full service okay. picture, there's they might just be like, Oh, well, this is why everyone doesn't like realtors, because this whole process sucks. And really, it's because they weren't educated. And then they hired you. And obviously, there's only so much you were even allowed to do. Mm -hmm. How much stuff did you have to unlearn when you went to to the traditional side? Was it like shocking for you to like learn that maybe these are not like going down on price 3% every four weeks is not solid advice you would ever give your seller? Right.
1: Yeah, it was, I think, unlearning the transactional and the very cold. And yes, I should have systems and I should be organized because they were very organized and they did have very good systems. But kind of scaling a little bit back on that and bringing more of like a personal touch to it. That's kind of what I had to figure out. And I always knew that dropping the price, having that specific formula, obviously, isn't case. Sense? You know, it's a case by case basis. Mm-hmm, yeah. So I don't think I had trouble taking that into any of my listings as a traditional agent, but I think it was just adding more of the personal touch to it. Um, I remember I had a listing as a traditional agent and I had set the seller up to receive the showing time and getting the requests and everything. And I thought that would be good because that's how it was at the other brokerage. And he was this old man and he was freaking out wondering who's texting me and, but that's a good oh, scenario, yeah. like it's a case by case basis. Like, that wouldn't have been a good setup for him. So I needed to make it more personal, and let him know when the showings were happening, which I did a quick pivot and I did switch to that. But it was a good example of me having to get away from that cold,
2: you know, discount model. Yeah. Did it feel weird going from, you know, 25 to 30 clients at a time to just a few? Um, it did,
1: but it was refreshing and I knew, and I remember when I was juggling that many deals at once, I just kept thinking like, I do want less that can get my, more of my attention. I didn't like the high volume that can barely get any of my attention because I'm just so busy. I didn't like that. So I wanted to take less. It it was refreshing and I, I liked that change
0: for sure. Yeah. That makes sense. I feel like I'm pretty good. Do you have any other questions or thoughts, Alyssa?
2: I, I feel you- like I'm going to be thinking about this all day. Yeah. And I'm just like still so blown away. I also have to say... Michelle, you're not what I expected. I don't know what I was expecting. I just, you're so kind and I can't picture you in this environment. <laughs> she didn't know any better, right? Like you just yeah. were like, I'm going to be an assistant. Like, yeah, that was it. yeah. I just need to yeah, have some guaranteed income. Right. She was too nice right. for the biz. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'm really glad you found your way. <laughs> right. And I do think you, this was... I do think this was an invaluable experience. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think we all
0: need to understand how other people run their business. There's nothing mm-hmm. necessarily wrong with a flat fee or a discount broker or a, or a limited service, but the public needs to be made aware of what that mm-hmm. means and what are the actual fundamental differences between getting advice from a full service agent who walks you through the whole, you know, transaction and hiring someone to simply type in your listing into the MLS. These mm-hmm. are two very different experiences. Right. Is there any, are there any like parting words or final thoughts you'd really like the public well, to know? Yeah.
1: I mean, I think in the big picture, the reason why we have a problem with something like this, even being an issue where the public thinks that, you know, they don't need to go the traditional agent route. They can just do the flat fee route. I think is because, You know, there's just such a low barrier to entry for realtors to become realtors. And the public does have this image that agents don't do much. You know, how many times do we see on the realtor Facebook groups someone telling an agent, like, you're just a glorified door opener? We don't, we only need you for the paperwork. And they only think that, I think, because the barrier to entry is just so low. So I think Mm -hmm. it should be more difficult for agents to become licensed. There should be maybe an apprenticeship something to make it more difficult to be a realtor and allow the public to respect us more then maybe they wouldn't have so many sellers out there looking for a flat fee option because they know the value of a real, of a traditional realtor.
2: And that's absolutely one of the big, reasons that we have this podcast is to just bring professionalism and respect back to the realtor brand and remind people to conduct themselves as a business and Mm -hmm. hopefully with time we'll we'll gain some credibility back and it's just so hard because you're right you can people come and go so quickly because it doesn't take very long to get licensed. And so they get in and they make a big mess and make us look bad and then they leave. And we're just here with the realtor name tag on trying to, you know, fix the do damage control to our reputation. All the time. So, yeah, definitely. This was so fascinating. Thank you for being willing to share. Right. um, yeah, thank you for yeah. having
1: me. I do feel like it's important to get it out there so realtors know about it, the consumers know about it. I don't think, unfortunately, it's going to go anywhere. I think there's always going to be this option no. out here. So,
0: there will be. Yeah, yeah there, there will. will always be. But at least if we educate the public on what it is, they can make an informed decision. Mm-hmm. Maybe they need right. more advice and assistance. Maybe they don't. Mm-hmm. Michelle, did you bring a toast? Do you want to yeah. toast someone today? Yes. I want to toast to two people. Um, these are the two girls that I
1: worked with at the flat fee brokerage. It was such an important part of my career that um, I have to toast to them. And they trained me when I started and they've just been really supportive of me since I've left. Um, but their names are Cassidy Bradley and Kathy Wynn.
0: Oh, okay. Well, cheers to Cassidy and mm-hmm. Kathy. It's nice to have someone shepherd you into any new environment, right? So that's Great. awesome that they were helpful. Thank you for being here. Before we go, we'll take a quickie photo, okay? okay? And then um we'll have your episode airing, I think, at the beginning of April. We'll send you a little message, okay?
2: Okay. All right. So Alyssa- if you change your mind <laughs> right. on if you want to be anonymous <laughs> or not. If you want to-
0: if you want us to blur you out, we totally will. Okay, okay.
2: smile. Okay, um, we thought it would be funny to have like the little pixelated uh, like, like blur. like we, we would blur you out like a Dateline interview. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think you were very respectful. You were very respectful, and this is totally fine for your name to be on it. Um, thank okay. you for sharing this side of the business with us because it's always yeah. important for us to learn the things we don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you, for um, thank me, you guys. so I much. You it was I
1: hope it's a good episode. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's gonna be it was it's gonna great. Be so good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. Okay. okay have you a good day, Michelle. Bye. 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 That was fascinating.